Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Father, thank you, Lord, for this this opportunity to come together and be able to be a part of not only locally, but online with so many people watching and and tuning in. So we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and study this, this, this difficult issue about Satanology, demonology, and the, um, the spiritual battle that we're all facing. So bless us, give us wisdom now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, I think um, where we left off, we finished the thing about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, if we recall, I believe, yes. We did, didn't Satan can control a believer. Okay. So the, the thing I want to get to is Ephesians 4.27, as far as the believer being controlled by Satan, um, it, the, the quintessential passage you want to refer to is Ephesians 4.27, when Paul says, nor give place to the devil. Now, in the context of what he's talking about, you know, he's talking about being controlled, and he, he makes the illustration of not being controlled by, you know, alcohol or, or anything other than being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because if you're allowed to, to, to give yourself control to something else other than the Holy Spirit, it gives a place for the devil to get a foothold. So the idea in Greek of the, of the place has to actually be translated into beachhead, that you, you can allow yourself to have a beachhead established by some protracted sin, by some protracted attitude, or something like that. And Satan will take full advantage of what you give him if this is in your, in your, your Christian life, okay? So um, trying to think, of just anything, you know, let, let's say you have... Uh, uh, anger problems or something like that, okay? And you're angry. I'm angry a lot because of what's happening in the world. I'm very angry. I get that. But one of the things that, that we can be angry and not sin, that's called a righteous indignation, right? But you can't let it cross a line. And um, right now, when I talk to people, a lot of people are very angry. There's no doubt about it. They, they switch from being angry to depressed, to being hopeless because of what they're seeing, the amount of evil that you and I are watching, right? Very dark times, I will say that, very dark times. And um, I talked to a number of people today in the prophecy world and, and they all feel the same thing. People are having trouble, you know, with, with seeing so much evil. And you, you can't take the option where you just have to, you, you unplug completely from the world because you can't do that. We need to be salt and light. We need to know what's going on and we need to warn people. So that means you still have to stay plugged in. But it's very hard because the things you see make you angry, they make you depressed, all that kind of stuff, right? So those are real emotions. If you and I don't, don't deal with that in a biblical way, that will become a place, a beachhead given to the devil, okay? It will become that. And um, this is what James warns about, that, that Christians that are under pressure 
of what's happening around them, um, he'll say, um, be slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to anger. And, and people think that's a little uh, trite little thing he said, but it has to do with every aspect that he said there is a command to stay in control. Don't shoot your mouth off. Please listen, and don't let your anger take you to a place that you're going to regret. So that's the thing. And right now, a lot of Christians are starting to lose it. Okay? They're starting to lose it. I get it. I understand it. But if you lose it, then what? You're going to be hammered. They're going to use that as the reason for why they don't believe. It's that right there. You prove to be a MAGA extremist because of your reactions that you can't control yourself. I know it's hard. I get it. But that could be used as a beachhead against you. So that's an example. Or another example could be something in your past that's a beachhead. That you you endured a trauma, you endured some type of pain, and that was then used against you as a beachhead. Um, And that's something you have to live with and deal with and, and struggle with to make sure that's not being used against you. I would say this, the majority of my counseling has to do with beachheads that are established early in their life from trauma and from pain. And they really haven't dealt with the pain. They've taken the modern psychology of, well, just bury it and put it under the rug and don't deal with it and move on. That's the opposite of what you need to do. You have to process it biblically and then you can move on. But until you have not processed it in a biblical way and going through the reparative therapy that the Bible gives about speaking truth into the lies there, you will forever be damaged and carry that with you. You want to be free of that, right? So that becomes a beachhead for a lot of people and actually controls them. Um, Other beachheads, mental illness. Mental illness can become a beachhead for the devil. Um, They take full advantage of somebody that has something wrong with them mentally, okay? So when you see like the homeless as an example, a lot of issues going on with the homeless, right? You got drugs, you've got uh, mental illness. But what you'll see in some, in some of the homeless is there's a lot of demonic possession, okay? And the, the possession is because they're taking advantage of the, you know, the, the, the foothold of the drugs or the alcohol or the mental illness. Or the reverse can happen and Satan can actually cause mental illness or demons can cause mental illness. So gotta be real careful about that. But that's another issue. So here's the thing. Do not spiritualize mental illness. Please. You go see a doctor. You go get help. It's real deal. If you spin out because you go untreated medically, you can do all the praying you want, but it won't fix what's going on upstairs because there's biological things going on. There's chemistry that goes on. And that stuff has to get fixed. Do not think you're going to pray yourself through it. Can God do a miracle? Yes. But those of you, if you've struggled with mental illness and have been sitting there waiting in prayer and that prayer hasn't been answered, what do you think God's telling you? Go to the doctor. Go see somebody that can actually do a blood test on you. See what's going on. 
and maybe prescribe you something. Do not be anti-medication. You are not the Jehovah Witnesses. You are not Christian science. Please, for your sake and the sake of other people, go get checked out. If you see you're in depression, go please get checked out because you will continue to spiral down. If there's stuff that you, know, you can't figure out, go see somebody. And I don't know where it came from, but I think it comes from the cult. So I don't go see doctors. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely, Luke was a doctor. We understand that, right? I mean, Paul, Paul wasn't allowed to heal Timothy, right? Paul had the gift of healings, but he, he couldn't heal. It wasn't God's will to heal Timothy. So what does he tell him to do? Take a little wine for his stomach. That was a medicinal advice, right? Paul didn't say, well, let's just pray through it. I'm sure Timothy Ardori prayed and it wasn't happening. He was not being healed, right? And here's a healer, Paul, and Paul's not gonna heal him. So what does Paul give? It gives medicinal advice. Drink a little wine for your stomach. Okay, that's it. James chapter five, the idea of going to the elders and having them anoint them with oil, you understand what that might be saying? The anointing of oil perhaps is a symbolic uh, of the Holy Spirit, okay? But there's other translations, or sorry, interpreters that would say the giving of the whole, uh, sorry, the, the, the oil represents medicine because in those days, olive oil was medicinal. They used it for medicinal purposes. So it could be interpreted that when you call upon the elders, the idea of the, the oil has to do with seek medical and God at the same time. Maybe, that's one interpretation, and it is a valid interpretation that we go to doctors, we go get help, but there's too many Christians, and I've seen this too many times, they have mental issues, they have them themselves, they see it in their kids, and they won't go get help. And they think, well, they spiritualize it, and they let it go, they let it go for a long time, and the person just spins out and continues to spin out and makes it the devil did it. Guys, let's wake up. Mental illness would become a place for the devil to use that person. Can't do that. You've got to take care of your health, your health, your mental state as well to be sharp on top of your game. Otherwise, you'll be taken advantage of. If you're struggling with depression right now, which a lot of people are doing, you need to go see a doctor. You need to have a, 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 a counselor, a therapist, whatever you want to call it. Because here's the thing, people want to come to me or they want to come to Shannon and come to our counselors here at the church and they have medical issues, they have mental issues and you know what we tell them? Until you get normalized, there's no amount of Christian counseling I can give you when you're not in your right frame of mind. I can tell you all day who your identity is in Christ and what you've been freed from. But if you're suffering with the clinical depression, that's a chemistry issue. That's not a spiritual issue. If we're having bouts of schizophrenia, if we're having bipolarism or whatever the thing is, 
and you think me telling you your identity in Christ is going to get you out of bipolarism? That's wrong. That's totally wrong. Normalize the mental illness, and then we go to the spiritual. It would be the same thing if someone approaches me and they tell me, hey man, Brandon, I have this person and I think they're demon-possessed. What's the first thing I'm going to do? In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. No. I'm going to say, how do we know he's demon-possessed? Well, he has these fits and he's doing this, alternative personalities. I said, before I deal with him, we're going to the doctor and see if he's schizophrenic. If he's not, and the doctor says he's not, I will deal with him with a demon possession. But I'm not going to pretend that it's demon possession when it could possibly be schizophrenia. That's just the way it is. Now, the reason I say that, because I and my staff are constantly dealing with Christians who have mental illness and spiritualize it, and they cause us a lot of problems. And it's constant. Constant. So this is a real deal. Please get medical help. We will not counsel you until you get medical help. Okay? I'm just putting that out there. I'm putting it out there for our staff. I'm putting it out from our counseling standpoint. I'm putting it out for myself. And this is where I see the biggest problem right now in the church is there's mental illness and it's untreated. And guess what? The devil takes full advantage of that person. The devil will drive them to be divisive. The devil will drive them to cause problems for all of us. The devil will drive them to have like fits and expect, and, and then we're expected to try to help that and it's impossible, okay? So please, this is one area is mental health has to be established. The other thing, giving place to the devil has to do also with attitudes. If we have the wrong attitude, for instance, if you're mad at God right now, okay? A lot of people are mad, okay? That's part of actually grief is the anger and they get mad at God and this is what they say. I can't believe God is allowing this. Why is he putting me through this? He could have stopped it. He has the power to reroute this whole course. Why didn't he stop it? So God must be either uncaring or unloving or is trying to be mean to me, okay? So let's just get it out on the table. There are plenty of Christians, they will never say this publicly, that are ticked off at God. That's okay. He's big enough and he can take it, okay? But you better figure out how to reconcile that at some point. Because if you continue to go through life angry at God, you're giving a place to the devil. I guarantee you, I know how he will use that one. He will drive you away from God. And you will go further and further away. You you don't want anything to do with God. You don't want anything to do with church. You don't want anything to do with Christians. And you just start isolating Okay, so attitude is a place where you can give to the devil. It becomes a beachhead. Overly critical attitude, perfectionism, idealism, those kinds of attitudes will trip you up, okay? Entitlement attitudes. Entitlement attitudes will absolutely crush you because the devil will just keep whispering in your ear, I can't believe they're treating you like that. You are entitled to this. You're entitled. Don't they know what you went through? Don't you know this? Don't they know that? Don't they know that? 
how dare they do that? And the entitlement will continue to build and build and build. And the more entitled you become, the further away you get from God. Okay? So these, these things are serious issues. And so I, I want to make sure I, 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 I closed the, the gap on this one because I didn't get to finish this one. But this is how people get controlled. Now, the other thing is this. There's a lot of areas where you can be controlled in. But the issue then becomes the devil will take only what you give him. So remember, the devil has to play by the rules, okay? So if you give over those areas, he will take it, okay? That's why you have to put on the full armor. That's why you have to guard yourself. That's why you have to know your weaknesses. And it's imperative, guys, that you know your weaknesses in a spiritual battle, you have to know where you're weak at. You have to know your strengths and your weaknesses because the weaknesses is where he's going to attack, right? And, if, and two, in your strengths, if you think in your strength you can't fall in your strength, you have another thing coming. He'll attack you on your strength then and show you that you are not, you're not as strong as you thought you were. Be very, very careful about that. We are watching um, people in society uh, Christians um, think that apostasy can't happen to them. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm watching it this week, I'm watching it last week, and I'm watching Christian leaders, um, guys like Max Licato and stuff, just completely go off the deep end, guys. Now, I don't think in Max Licato's mind that he ever thought he would go off the deep end, but he's fully off the deep end now. He's not someone you, I can recommend anymore. 20 years ago, but not now. He's totally off the deep end. And, and I say that just as, you know, it, when you watch guys like that, these are well-known Christian individuals, and they can fall, that means that you and I can fall. You and I can apostatize. I don't know what led them all to the stages to where they just jump off the cliff, but it just shows me, it's, it's a humbling effect for myself thinking, be careful to think you stand lest you fall, Brandon. It could be you one day. And, and so the, the, the age of apostasy, we all have to guard ourselves. In this area of apostasy, let me, let me explain that a little bit. That means that you once held biblical views, and now you don't. Now, it doesn't have to be all the views. I mean, there's degrees of apostasy, right, that, that you, you can move away from. And doesn't, it, apostasy doesn't mean you're not a believer. It means you're holding on to false beliefs now. Or you've, you've synchronized those false beliefs into your Christianity, and they're nowhere to be found in Christianity, okay? And that's what we call syncretism. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about to the Corinth church. Okay, to whatever degree a believer will apostatize will be the, the area in which he will not be rewarded, okay? So there's a reward aspect to this, of loss of rewards. But the shift away from proper theology to bad theology, what do you think is the number one culprit that moves people off theology? Is it because they read a book? Is it because they, they read some new theology? What do you think moves them off? 
pride, yeah, pride could be. They know it all. There could be issues of uh, appeasing the group they're involved in. That's one of the major problems in theology is a pastor might know that his belief, or sorry, the group's belief is wrong, but he will never go against the group because they'll kick him out of the group. So he just won't say anything. And so they just go along to be accepted in the group. There's all kinds of things. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Okay, we had an online question. It was, uh, what is the best course of action for a believer who is dealing with a believing spouse with a mental illness but refuses treatment? I can't tell you uh, how, how much we hear that. So here's what you got to do. You got a spouse that refuses to go get medical help or mental treatment, and they're obviously spinning out, right? So what's your obligation? Well, your obligation is to help them. How do you help them? Well, the first thing you do is you start putting boundaries on them, okay? And this is what Christians are not comfortable doing, okay? So the first boundary that you put on somebody is a verbal boundary, Okay, that's where you start. You don't go all the way to the max. You start with simply a verbal boundary. You need to see a doctor. And so I'm going to expect you by the end of the week to make an appointment to see Dr. So-and-so. And that's a verbal boundary, right? So by Friday comes along and you, you ask the spouse or whatever, did you make that appointment? Yes, okay, great. No, I'm putting a boundary on you. Okay, and what would be that boundary? Well, I can't tell you specifically, but I'll give you general principles. When you start putting on boundaries, you, the, the, the principle of 1 Corinthians 5 comes into play, and it's this. It's isolation. So the first boundary is you remove your physical presence from your spouse. How so? Well, maybe that night you say, you know what? Until you make this appointment, you sleep on the couch. Or it could be more drastic. Until you make that appointment, I'm not going to the show with you. I'm not going to dinner with you. I'm not going to sleep in the same bed with you and until you fix that. And you just keep adding. Because here's the thing, you say, well, then they do it, and you start small, and then you do it, and they say, well, Brandon, it's still not working. I said, because you haven't hurt them enough. What do you mean, hurt them? God will hurt you, but he won't harm you. Does God cause you pain when he disciplines you? You better believe he does. But that pain is redemptive in nature. God will never harm you, though. Okay, his pain is redemptive pain. Okay, so you're giving pain. You have to start giving pain to that person in the way of isolation, okay? So if they say, well, he doesn't care if they sleep on the couch and he doesn't care if I don't eat with him and he doesn't care if we don't go to the show and he doesn't care if we don't uh, go out to eat tonight. Fine, then ramp it up. What else do you need to do? What else would hurt him? What does he like to do with you? Nothing. Okay. He doesn't like to do anything. So what kind of marriage do we have at this point? 
my goodness. Okay, so let's take Carol's scenario. Um, he doesn't like to do anything. Why are you guys... I guess you're only together because of the biblical mandate, I guess, at that point. But he won't, he won't do it. Okay, so, so then we're going to ramp things up. Okay, well, Paul... Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 allows me to separate from you for a temporary t- time. I'm going to go stay with mom or whoever for a few days until you get your act figured out. I'll come back when you make the doctor's appointment. Oh, you don't want to take those medications? Then I'll, I'll be with mom for the next week. And then you extend it, and then you extend it, and then you extend it. Okay. And Brandon, you say, how long do I have to go until you hit the pain threshold to where the the pain of being isolated is more than the pain of not doing something? Okay, so that's how you do it. You just keep loading up boundaries until it forces them to either do it or something's going to really go, go bad. Okay? Now, most people won't do it because they say, you don't understand my spouse. They'll go crazy on me. So, then call the sheriff. Call the cops. What are you afraid of? Well, they're, they're going crazy. Okay, I'll call the cops. Call the sheriff. I don't care. But at some point, if you want to get somebody to do something, you have to give them freedom, number one, to either do it or not, so you can't force them, but you have to give them consequences. That's how you deal with people, is you force consequences on Now, let me give you a classic case in point. The, criminal, the criminals in our society are not afraid of committing crimes because of why? There's no accountability. There's no consequences for bad behavior. So the, whole, the Bible is trying to say, if you want to get at somebody to do something or stop doing something, you level consequences upon them consequences that actually hurt that's it that would solve the justice problem and and of course we don't have that but that's how you do interpersonal relationships and so that that would be the answer to that question i guess um that's the only solution because you can't force somebody you can't pick someone up and take them to the doctor right you just can't do that they have to go on their own free will so here's the thing, you have to follow God's model. God always gives free will whether someone's gonna behave correctly or incorrectly. But, he, but here's the thing, they don't get to choose the consequences, right? He'll let you do anything you want, but you don't get to pick the consequences. And the same is true when you're dealing with people. You wanna act like a bozo, you wanna act like a jerk, you wanna act like a, uh, the, the test pilot at the broom factory, Okay, okay, but here's what's going to happen to you. Now, what you'll find in most interpersonal relationships, Christians don't do that. They just nag, they just bark, they're angry all the time, they fight. But when you're giving consequences, you don't even have to fight. This is what will happen to you if you do it next time. And when he does it the next time, boom, you do it. There's no arguing, you just do it. The problem is follow through. People won't follow through. They won't. And then all of a sudden, you're back to square one. And then, then they continue to fight about this stuff. So that's my advice to that one.
Go ahead. Another question. So we have one that's, uh, how can we keep from being deceived in apostasy? Ah, now that's a good one. Okay, so let's get back to why certain things like that happen. Several things. It will surprise you that it's not a theological decision. It's not. It's not a theological decision. What tends to happen is it's their family primarily of why they move off of theological positions. It's their family. And their family puts pressure on them, particularly their kids put pressure on them. I have seen, guys, pastors, theologians, who are staunch advocates for a particular theology, and no one could move them off of that theology at all. No, no PhD, no one arguing. But you know who moved them off the theology? Their kid. How is that? You see what I'm saying? These guys could be in debates with PhDs, and they're not moving. The kid says, Dad, you're wrong. Okay. What? What is that? What is that? How come the kid could break down the theological barriers and move the father into apostasy? What is that? What do you call that? Familial ties? What, what is that? But it's, I, don't, I don't even know what to call it, but it happens more often than you think that the kids will move the parents off the theology. It, I don't ever see it, I, I rarely see it coming down, top down from the parent to the kid, that the kids are learning what the parent tells them. It's always the opposite. The kid gets some new fandango idea and says, mom, dad, you're wrong on this. I heard this guy on YouTube say this and, and oh, okay, all right, we'll, we'll change. We're wrong. How did that happen? Familial ties. Here's what I notice about family. This is why Jesus actually makes the command to put him, him first over your family, right? Remember that? You must love me and hate your father and mother. You gotta put Jesus over your family. It's because the familial bond is so powerful, it, break down, it breaks down any walls for the per- It just breaks everything down. Because of the bonding with the child, the bonding with family, it just it, it, it tends to just break everything down. And I I I, I, I just get I guess it's the it's the store gay love. I, that's all I can say. But then it breaks it down. But then it's it's wrong in that sense because it breaks down the theology. Now I, again, you could go back and say, well, how much did they really believe that if they were broken down by their kid? I don't know, you know. You would think you would have enough strength to say, if my kid's going Christian woke, that you wouldn't acquiesce to that. You would say, you're crazy. Uh, Marxism? Nah. CRT? Nah. Nah, nah, we're not doing that. Um, but you watch a lot of these, these, these pastors' kids have a tendency to do this. Let me ask you this. Do you think Charles Stanley knows what Andy Stanley's up to? Do you think he knows what Andy Stanley's up to as his boy? How come he never calls him out? Andy Stanley's a false, Andy Stanley, not Charles. Charles is good. Andy Stanley's a false teacher. 
But how come Charles won't call him out as a false teacher? You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? How come, um, who's the guy who denied hell, uh, denies hell and says love wins? Um, Rob Bell. Remember Rob Bell? Apostate, went on Oprah, yada, yada. His dad is a very conservative pastor. How come his dad never calls him out? You see what I'm saying? You deny an essential doctrine of Christianity, okay? Like hell, like no justice of God, just love. He's apostate, okay? He, I mean, he's a false teacher. He's in a totally different category. But his dad's conservative. It's weird to watch this dynamic in churches. It's weird to watch it, at, especially at the high-profile levels, that you, you know these people, and then their kids come, and their kids are just out of control, just apostate. I was talking the one time to um, Tommy Ice. Yeah, that's who it was. I was talking to Tommy Ice on the phone one time, long time ago. And Tommy Ice is the head of the Pre-Trib Research Institute, and that's a great website if you guys ever want to go there. Um, pre-trib research. Anyway, we were, I was talking to Tommy and it was at the time that Rob Bell was just going crazy. And I, I said, man, Tommy, I go, I don't get this. His dad was legit or is legit and all solid and doing great. And, and then you have him in just flat out denying the essentials of the Christian faith. He says, you know what I, I'll tell you, Brandon, I knew Rob Bell when he was a little kid. He was a little rebel when he was young. And the issue is he doesn't like his daddy. That's what this whole thing is about. I said, you, you, are you really? I said, so it's a daddy issue is why he's become apostate? It's a daddy issue? Yeah, it is. It is. I think Andy Stanley has a daddy issue with Charles. He's always lived under the shadow of his, uh, of his father. So what does he do? Try to make a name for himself by apostasy, by being different than Charles. Hey, Andy, get a clue. To be different than your dad doesn't mean going into false theology. That's not how you get out of your dad's shadow. Why didn't you start a church on your own without taking 3,000 people from Charles? You see what I'm saying? Andy Stanley is a slug. What he did to Charles Stanley. Is an absolute slug. And Charles, of course, he's a good, godly man, right? But, but Andy, his son, is just off the chart goofball. Just goofball. But I think, it, I think looking at the whole scenario, it's a, he has a daddy issue. Anyway, that's how you get placed to a devil. Daddy issues, mom issues, all kinds of things. They will work on you. They will cause you to, to go into all kinds of weird stuff. Okay. <coughs> Let's move to this one. Uh, Satan's, Satan wars with the saints. And, and of course, I think we've looked at the armor already. I think we've talked about it. So I don't want to belabor the armor of God. But um, one of the things I'll, I'll read, and I, I just want to highlight this. Um, Okay, so I don't have it on the screen, so you have to just either listen or follow in your Bibles. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, okay? 
he's basically telling you, look, he's going to war with you. He's actually going to target you. He's going to come after you. Now, Satan probably won't come after you specifically. He's going after Biden. He's going after Pelosi. And he's going after Putin and those kinds of guys. But who's going after you is one of his henchmen, a fallen angel or a demon that has been assigned to you to, come, to actually war against you. Okay? So this is real deal stuff. So, so what Paul is saying is, look, the fact that he's coming after you, you're not going to be able to fight him in your own strength and your own power because they'll, they'll just throttle you. They're way more powerful than you. They're way more intellectual than you. You can never outsmart a demon or a fallen angel. They are hyper, hyper, hyper intelligent, way beyond us. Okay? So you don't want to go toe-to-toe in a discussion with them, and you definitely don't want to deal with their power. So you must rely on God's power. And this is where he says, be strong and in the power of his might. Okay? So the question then becomes, how do I get access to this power to deal with a war that's actually coming against me? Well, the power is found by putting on the armor. Okay? You have to do what he's asking you to do to find where the power is at. Okay, so let's, let's go through it a little bit. I'm going I'm to do a more of a cursory thing here. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. Able means that you're going to get power to do this. Able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil are the stratagems of the devil, the agenda of the devil that he's trying to go uh, against you with. And so the, the way you're able to stand in God's power is to put the full armor on, if that makes sense, okay? So what's going to happen is the way Satan is going to war with you is he gonna, he's going to use one of his tactics against you. Now, he has a myriad of tactics, but here's the thing. The tactics really never change. They're just repackaged for the individual person, okay? So, for example... When does he typically hit people as a tactic? He can hit you when you're down. He can hit you when you're prideful, right? Those are the times, usually even after, uh, even after you've went through uh, like a major hardship and you've come out the other end, you'll have an attack right after that right after that because you, you you do this spiritual high so to speak and you've you've made it and then all of a sudden he hits you again because your energy is spent so one of the key things to understand is um to understand that attacks will come when you're low energy whether good or bad stressed hungry tired can you think that these are physical things right okay Alone, isolated, right? Alone and isolated. Uh, think of anything else? So a lot of times you need to check where you're at physically. Because remember, you're a body-soul unity. And if your body's not functioning correctly, it can affect the soul and vice versa. The soul can affect the body. So it's an inward and outward thing that you have to continue to watch for. You have to watch yourself physically and you have to watch yourself spiritually. You have to see what's going on. So that requires you to do introspection, okay? Introspection. And I can tell you this. If you start becoming unhealthy 
and start declining, okay? And, and it's something that you can control. I'm not saying there's something that you can't control and you're declining. But when you decline, sometimes that declining will hurt you spiritually if you're not careful, okay? So it's, it's very important you take care of your health in these situations. I'm not saying that, okay, I got this and you know, this is beyond my control. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about general health, that you're not staying up on top of your game where you need to be. And that can actually hurt you. So think about your health. Think about your spiritual health. Uh, you're not isolated, that you have a group that you can go to. You have people that you can talk to, those kinds of things, because that's how it's going to work. Okay, continue on. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So basically what Paul has given you is the, uh, the army of Satan in their strategic ranks. He has actually ranked them out from highest to the lowest and, and, and told you that, look, this war is full of people who are following a mission of the general. They have tactics, they have weapons, and they're, they're organized, and they're coming after you. Again, that's not meant to scare you. It's meant to tell you what you're up against. They have systematically targeted you. Every one of you in this room, they know who you are. They know what your weaknesses are, and the point of their war against you is to bring you down to destroy you, and if they can't destroy you physically, they'll destroy you spiritually to where you stop, you give up, you surrender to them. That's all they want. Okay, so then he goes on and he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, uh, in, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So the armor allows you to stand in God's power. Okay, and that, that, that means you're immovable. That means you don't give up the ground. You are, you, you, this is what you've claimed on your ground. This is my place, whether it's at your job or your school or wherever, this is where I, I, I function. This is my mission field and no one's moving me off of it. And the way I stay there is through God's power. But the only way you're gonna get the power is if you put on the armor, okay? So what is the armor? Well, there's different pieces. I'll read it, but I want to give you a more global, globalistic idea. Having girded your waist with truth, having put the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, and, uh, with which you were able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Okay, so to get a general idea about the, war, the, the armor is the fact that Paul is pulling this from Isaiah and other Old Testament passages, okay? And I went over this a little bit. But again, the overall idea of the armor is it is the word of God. And the different pieces of armor are different categories of understanding of the word of God or categories of theology or whatever you want to call them. Um, helmet of salvation, that's soteriology. 
I have to know what soteriology means uh, in terms of how does one become saved? What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be glorified? I have to know those things, otherwise I'll be deceived in that area, okay? Shield of faith. The shield is God, okay? But you have to understand that, again, it points to the word of God, but the, God's always our shield. But in order to use the shield, you have to understand how to use the word of God to block the fiery arrows. And what are the arrows? They're lies. They are lies. So I have to be a skilled warrior to know that when a lie gets fired my way, I know what scripture to offset that with. And then when I do that, I use the shield. But if I don't know what scripture goes with the lie, I am unguarded and it will come and hit me and I will get suckered. You want to know what the new suckering is? That the, that, that, um, uh, and I have to address this, I guess, at, uh, in my prophecy update this week. Is Christians now peddling the lie that um, the towers uh, 9-11 fell because of an inside job and, it, we, and the planes going into the buildings were faked by, by computer-generated images and, and then the other theory that goes along with it, and it was the Jews, particularly the Mossad, who did it, so it would spark us to go to war with Iraq and Afghanistan, okay? That is utterly stupid. That is the most ridiculous thing you could ever believe. There's no evidence for that. And what do you tell all the families who lost people in those planes that were killed and made those last calls right before they slammed into the, the, the buildings? Oh, they just disappeared? What are you going to say? You are so irreverent, so disrespectful to those families. Don't ever do that. You're giving us all a black eye. And I have to address it because we now have Christian leaders saying that stupid stuff. I'm telling you, how come they don't see the fiery dart? Because they don't know how to use the shield of faith. They don't know what scripture goes with crazy conspiracy theories, blaming the Jews on the, the towers falling in America at 9-11. Are you insane? Are you out of your mind? No wonder the world doesn't take us with any credibility when we believe stupid things like that and we peddle them. That's what irritates me. And, and so we in the prophecy world get a black eye by these conspiracy tinfoil hat brigade guys who make up stupid stuff like the earth is flat or we didn't go to the moon or whatever conspiracies that are out there. You, you, and, 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 and the thing is, how come the Christians can't see the conspiracy? How come the Christians couldn't see QAnon? How come they couldn't see it? Yet the QAnon said that Trump would usher in the kingdom. Right there, that's it, I'm done. Anybody that knows their Bible, I only know one person that ushers in the kingdom. It's Messiah, it ain't Trump. Right then, I would have known QAnon's wrong. They're a liar. 
but how come Christians believe this conspiracy stuff? Do you understand how evil that is to say the Jews blew up our buildings? You know how anti-Semitic that is? It's ridiculous, and yet you got Christian leaders peddling that nonsense and other things. But it's because they don't know how to use the shield of faith or the belt of truth for that matter. What is the belt of truth? Yes, the belt of truth refers to the Bible, but it also, beyond the Bible, goes to how you function in reality. You are to be a truth seeker, not a conspiracy theorist. And a truth seeker means that I'm gonna get the facts and I'm gonna get the evidence before I put something in my body. Before I believe what they're telling me on Charlie Oscar Victor Igloo Delta One Niner. Okay? I'm gonna get the facts and evidence before I make a move. I'm gonna learn. I'm just not gonna go blindly do something without getting the facts and evidence. See, that's part of being a Christian, is I'm a fact gatherer and, an ev- and I want evidence before I make a move. Before I believe something, I want evidence. I want evidence. That's part of wearing the belt of truth, that I'm seeking the truth. But people who are not seeking the truth, they go to conspiracy theories, because it sounds good to them. It, it seems to make sense but they didn't think about all the families who lost people in the airplane. It's crazy, right? Um, feet shod with the gospel of peace. Again, referring to the word of God, but referring to the stability that the gospel brings them. And the stability can go back to James because James will remark that some believers are tossed to and fro like the waves of the wind by every doctrine of man that comes their way. They're just tossed to and fro. How come they're tossed to and fro? Because they don't have any stability. They don't understand the gospel and what it entails. That's why they believe cults. That's why they believe false doctrine. That's why they believe, you know, um, there's 57 genders or something like that. That's why they believe that. The gospel grounds them if you know it. And I'm, 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 and I'm using that term gospel, the, sh- the gospel of peace, in a more general sense, because it, it's, it's going beyond the death, burial, and resurrection. It's a codification of every truth about Messiah. Does that make sense? Every truth about Messiah is that gospel of peace. And if you don't know every truth about the Messiah, you're gonna be uh, pushed around and unstable. And that's what's starting to happen to Christians. They're unstable. I mean, like I, like I said on Sunday, when you have like Joe Scarborough saying uh, Jesus never talked about um, abortion. Now, if you're unstable, you're gonna say, you know what, that guy's right. He didn't talk about it, right? You, you actually believe that, that nonsense or whatever is the idea. Okay. Um, he says this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. So first thing you said in in that, be watchful in this. So he's he's given a command that you better understand they're coming after you. That's the first thing. So if you know they're coming after you, you gotta do this, but you also have to pray. 
And one of the key reasons for praying in spiritual warfare is so that you have insight to see where the enemy is attacking, to see yourself, to see the situation as it unfolds in front of you. And what happens is God will disclose to you, if you stay in fellowship with him, what's happening, okay? He does not want you to be unaware. It's not like he's hiding this from you. If Satan's gonna come and try to mess with you, God wants to help you. But he will only help you if you do what he says. Take my armor, take the word of God, and then pray to me and ask me. He uses the word supplication. Supplication means I'm asking for help. I can't see what's happening. My enemies are invisible, Lord, and I need eyes to see them. Then he can do that for you. That's what the idea of constantly in prayer for supplication in order to see your enemies who are invisible. Okay, um, being watchful of this with all perseverance and supplication with the saints. So the idea, the last thing is perseverance. The idea of perseverance in spiritual warfare is this. Number one, don't let them stop you. Don't let them stop you because that's what they want to do. They want to stop you. So that's, that's, that's another aspect of perseverance, okay? The second aspect of perseverance has to do with your duty and the fact that you're here for a reason. We can't have you give up. We can't have you go AWOL on us. And I'm hearing, even this this week, I'm, I'm listening to pastors retire right now that are too young to be retiring. I get it. If you're way up there in age, you probably need to retire. I get that. But if you're still good for the game, we need you in the game. And already we have a mass exodus of pastors leaving the ministry at the most crucial time. And we don't have them in the game with us. So we're losing our running backs, our tight ends, and all this other stuff. We're losing them, and we don't have a lot of players to play the game. And so perseverance means I finish out the mission till the end. There's no retirement in ministry. There's none. They'll have to put a toe tag on me uh, when, when I'm done, okay? So because I plan to persevere. Unless I go crazy, unless I go apostate, or unless I lose it physically, okay. But until then, there's no retirement in this game. And that's the idea of persevering. You persevere all the way to the end. So anyway, um, that's that. And uh, any questions on this? All good? Y'all good? Okay, let's take a five-minute break, and then we'll come back and do some current events. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.